0: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You got to open your heart.
1: Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. Number five, number eight, what is leadership like in today's football world?
0: First of all, we're going to have to add some new uh, audio clips to that by the end of this thing.
2: Make it a full Howie Roseman audio clip intro
0: because we got a lot of howie roseman to talk about today uh, and that will be the second half of this epic hour-long broadcast of not another philly sports talk show i'm filled up with daily news columnist david murphy joined by inquire columnist mike sealski and fellow daily news columnist marcus hayes who i just have noticed has i've just noticed has his chewing gum tacked to the front of his glasses
2: meanwhile you david murphy are wearing a man bun I am so,
1: and ha- and you have a bedazzled iPod.
2: I case. do, yeah. So uh, some interesting sights iPad, here, and uh, iPad. It's gonna be a fabulous world.
0: day here on the podcast. Uh, I will say the man bun is only strictly out of pract- practicality concerns. Uh, my hair was getting in my eyes, and so I thought <laughs> a rubber band. And scissors and I, don't
1: exist in your universe. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: I need a haircut.
1: Hey, man. Hi. Right. It looks marvelous. Yes.
0: Well, we're gonna talk about very
2: Stephen Adams.
0: We're gonna talk about. <laughs> For the fourth consecutive day, story that the Eagles never should have allowed to happen, which was our colleague, comrade Jeffrey McLean, getting ejected from the Lincoln Financial Field press box. Now, I was not there on Sunday, but you two gentlemen were, Mm -hmm. which is why you're here and you're going to begin talking about this incident. (laughs) Well,
2: I was at the opposite end of the press box. The way the press box is set up is that the beat guys and a couple other people— Um, among them a Daily News columnist, i.e. Marcus, sit at the far end, uh, one far end of the press box, and then the rest of the Inquirer and Daily News people sit at the other end. So I was at the other end um, and happened to notice uh, people standing up. Uh, I guess it was earlier, midway in the third quarter, Marcus, um, and you could see Les Bowen, you could see Marcus, you could see Ann Gordon, who's kind of the principal antagonist in this narrative narrative, standing around talking. So I walked down that way, and uh, Marcus, I'll let you take it from there because I think people generally have a pretty good idea of what, what happened. If you could just tell us like, what you saw and what, you know, what happened while you were there.
1: Well, what precipitated all of it really was a relatively innocuous debate or discussion, really. There, there, was no, there was no argument going on among the writers about a particular play that was sort of difficult to decipher both for us and the people on the field the the officials. So, we were told in no uncertain terms, and very brusquely, and imperiously, and unprofessionally, essentially to shut up.
2: Mm-hmm. By to which by, by,
1: a, by, a, by Zach Rowan, um, one of the full time media relations members at, at the And economy. they're
0: sitting behind you. Is this correct? Two rows
1: behind us. Yes.
0: Okay. So if to picture, for because people don't even know where we work. They ask, they still ask me if I what section what game, section yeah. I sit in. Uh, the press box is essentially, the way I've come to describe it, is it's a large luxury suite, essentially. It's on that same level as the luxury suites. And, uh, I mean, it's where the TV announcers sit. Right. And Jeffrey Lord. So yeah. So, you have your three rows. Um, you know, you have a row of desks, like a long, uninterrupted row yeah. of desks. There then, are tiers a second of seats, one, There's three tiers of seats. And then in the back, there's a larger room. But the PR staff... Sits, occupies the occupies third, the third row right
1: because they you know uh, they sit behind you essentially right logically they sit behind us because they don't need to actually witness and record the game Th- those are the worst seats in the house essentially so um that's where is that because they have
0: to listen to you guys
1: and <laughs> <laughs> monitor us apparently um so that's where zach growing was sitting it was when, a
0: cold gray april day and the clocks you just let were striking tell the story please? the <laughs> <laughs> clocks were striking 13 o'clock
1: <laughs> it was 13 o'clock.
0: big brother yeah.
1: that's right um so, yeah, we, we discussed this stuff. We were smacked down, and it, the degree of the imperiousness is hard to, to hard to relate to people who don't live in press boxes, as you know. Most uh, all three of us has done for between ten and twenty five years. It, it's not the way that you would handle that sort of situation in any situation, in any press box, in any you know working situation. So anyway. Um, We took exception to it, and the remarkable thing after that was Zach Rowan felt compelled to heckle us as we discussed the impropriety among ourselves, as we discussed the impropriety of his action. So So this was like an escalating situation. He exacerbated the situation by not letting one mistake stand on its own. He made several others after that, to which Jeff responded, look, let's go in the back and hash this out at which point, according to both the Eagles and Jeff, he said, listen, there is an entity that exists to diffuse this situation and adjudicate it. It's called the Professional Football Writers Association. If you have a problem with me, you go through them. If I have a problem with you, I file agreements with them. He came back to work 10 or 15 minutes later, apparently spurred by what she considered a threat of Je- by Jeff that his union would <laughs> somehow exact vengeance on them or her. She ejected him. And did so in a very, I don't know, I, I would say unprofessional manner, to the degree when we addressed her, Les and I, Les Bowen and I addressed her, she threatened to throw out not only us, but anyone who objected to this expulsion to which we replied, "Well, we stringently object, object to it. then she obviously didn't eject us because we were then a, then allowed to for an hour tweet and take pictures about it and you know, create all sorts of outrage.
2: Which I followed. Breathlessly. Yes, you did,
1: <laughs> and waited. It's the most compelling reporting lesson I have done for years.
0: I mean, you had the uh you had the grassy knoll picture. I did. I yeah. did. Are you yeah. getting photographic credits for this Pulitzer nomination? I, I am, perhaps. I am.
1: I am now in the Pulitzer pool. Yes. I mean, it's
0: like I think you're like nose and nose with the guy. The who, Aleppo guy. Yeah. Th- yeah, the guy who who took the picture of the Russian ambassador being shot. No, uh, no. no. <laughs> the, the Aleppo kid. I think it's the Aleppo. Yeah, kid. it could
1: be. Which it one was
0: be. that? The drown, the drown. No,
1: no, no. The the the, ter- the terrible picture of the or the terrible video of the the young child. You know, after the bombing in Alaska. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. have you seen the
0: Have you seen the one of the Russian like, ambassador? I've seen right.
1: the, I the right. actual yes. execution. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: This was that, was, that was hell of it. That like, was a hell I, of a
1: photograph. It was. was this, I'm I'm not of that ilk, but I think in the similar situation, I have proven my merit that I could I could perform. Yes. Okay.
2: So let's let's <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get to why this matters because one of the things that I'm always kind of fascinated by in the wake of a story like this, is that readers and commenters and people on social media say that they don't care about the reporters. They just want us to cover the team. And there is very much an ethic in a lot of people who work in the media, like, look, the story isn't supposed to be about us. We just are here to write and report and comment on the sports we and the players and the coaches and the executives. And then something like, like this happens, and you write a news story about it on philly.com, and you write a column about it, And they explode. They're by far the most read things (laughs) that are on the site. So people clearly do care. To Murph, in your words, why does this matter? Like, why should anybody, you know, give a damn that the Eagles threw Jeff McClain out of the press box?
0: I mean, I don't know that they should give a damn in terms of their day-to-day lives and allowing them to, like, I don't think it should become a cause for them. But I think that it's instructive more than anything. Um, You know, like, I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's something that we need to like rage against the machine of creeping, you know, authoritarianism or anything like that. But I think it's very instructive that in the last game of the season, a game that the Eagles go on to win, a season that the general manager will 48 hours later attempt to, you know, portray as a, a rousing success all <laughs> things considered, <laughs> they are concerned uh, enough about a reporter's decibel level in the press box that that they will make an incident out of it. And not not only that, I think the more instructive thing is that they did not consider how poorly this would play with anybody who cares about the team. Because while fans certainly do not have a ton of respect for the media in this day and age, um, and you could see it even in the the tortured comments of people who who, who all of a sudden had this Eagles administration that they dislike, you know going toe to toe with with a media
2: <laughs> who they dislike
0: who they dislike yeah you know the tor- just the tortured ways in which they they tried to make sense out of this um was fascinating to watch but the fact is there's no good that could have come come out of this right. and the fact that you have people in charge of this organization vice president people with vice presidents attached to mm-hmm. their names who who should theoretically be in charge of deciding whether something like this is worth pushing the way it was right. pushed the fact that they made the wrong decision and clearly the wrong, the wrong decision to me is instructive about the way the organization is wa- run at this point in time. And I think that more than anything, uh, you know, the same people who hired Dan Gordon to mess up that decision mm-hmm. are the same people who are hiring, you know, Howie Roseman to, to
2: pick players in the draft.
0: Exactly. And again, when you look at, I, I think that's the thing I thought of more than anything throughout the whole thing, which is, This is the Eagles in a nutshell right now. Mm -hmm. How did it come to this? Yeah, this would not have happened on Joe Banner's watch, I don't think.
2: Probably not. Well, Marcus. Maybe it would.
0: I mean, Joe Banner. You know, Joe Banner was there when they outlawed hoagies, but yeah, I, I don't know
1: that. It's kind of it's kind of apples. That's not the first hoagie comparison. It's kind of apples to apples if you want to use Carson Wentz's poor analogy. Um, (laughs) it's actually apples to oranges because one affects the bottom line and the fan, you know, they want to make more money. You can understand (laughs) that this doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless it's retribution. And it should be noted that Jeff among others and myself included wrote very critical stories or columns about both the general manager, Howie Roseman and the head coach, Doug Peterson, in the days and weeks leading up to this. So perhaps we helped create an environment where the Eagles were either hypersensitive to anything or looking for a spot to put us in our place, quote unquote. You know, to your point, Mike, when you talk about why should they care, there's between Twitter and TV and radio and podcasts, one of which Jeff has on this website, people have become much more attached not only to columnists, as it were 10, 20, 15, 50 years ago, but even beat reporters or guys who cover the team in a dual role like like Jeff Jeff, does. He has a personality. He has a a degree of celebrity and, you know, 50,000, 100,000 Twitter followers. So he is somebody the way that when I covered the team, I I very much wasn't. Mm -hmm. When I covered the team in the 90s, You know, you were the beat writer and Stan Hockman mattered and Bill Conlon mattered, but you did not. And Bill Lyon mattered, but you did not. You you were their facilitator. So that's one issue. The other other issue about why fans seem to care is I believe that there is an understanding, maybe heightened by our political climate right now and the oppression and and muzzling not only by – the right wing but the left wing too. Obama and you know, Hillary Clinton have been very, very restrictive with access and very uh, imperious in administering access to the press for the last you know six to eight years. So I believe people are appreciative more now, especially in the last year, of what they're allowed to know and how it gets to them at least and if not appreciative at least a little bit better informed and worrying about how does that affect me not that jeff being evicted <laughs> on the press box compares with somebody covering a trump rally or an obama speech or you know hillary on the campaign trail but it's a it's an overarching concern and it's a valid concern and certainly one from our perspective we probably give too much credence to as dave said Nobody's going to sleep at night saying, "Geez, I hope the media is better tomorrow." But I think there's a sort of underlying worry that 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 luxury or that right or that that entity is being compromised. But well, what do you what do you think? Well, here's takeaway? what I think.
2: I, I my takeaway is kind of similar to what Marcus just said, but kind of going through the the looking glass the other way, which is looking at it from the 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 way media are now, both at a sports level and to a great degree, kind of in the general culture, the political level, um, news gathering in general, which is to say that an entity like the Eagles, an entity like a political campaign, an entity like a presidency and government, um, looks at the media landscape now and kind of picks and chooses which media entities it can use to get its message out, okay? If you're Donald Trump on the campaign trail you're going on Sean Hannity every single night of the week because there's a certain segment of people you want to you want to reach and there's a certain place where your message is going to be treated favorably. If you're the Eagles and I've actually had discussions short discussions with Ann Gordon about this after I got hired by the Inquirer I spoke with her briefly and she lamented kind of the condition of newspapers and independent media and oh so sorry that things are going the way they are blah blah blah. Well. I would, I would venture to say that part of the reason she lamented that was because she looks at the landscape and says, hey, we have PhiladelphiaEagles.com. We have certain members of the talk radio and television media who are going to be naturally sympathetic to us. We have certain websites that cover the team that, no matter regardless of how they might cover us, in the end want us to do well. Be, you know it's it's better for everybody if the team wins. And when you have an entity like The Inquirer or The Daily News or philly.com or some of the other independent news organizations that cover the Eagles and they're not bound by it's better if the team wins and it's worse if the team loses. It's just we're covering them. This is what we this is the news we're gathering. This is we're trying to get it how it really is and this is what we really think that they perceive that as either useless or a threat. And I think Jeff kind of, um, m- m- to your point, Marcus, with maybe the way he covers the team, he's a bulldog on the beat, and he has personality when he writes, and he doesn't pull punches, I think that contributed to why it was him who got singled but out, it, if but that makes sense. But
0: isn't it more so the fact that they're even concerned about any of that, that kind of sheds some well, light it, on on their mentality exactly like, like that's the thing is you're
2: right they should ignore it but i don't know that any organ i mean the good ones do but I that's don't what know. i'm so that's yeah. my
0: that right there's my whole point right Exactly. Yeah. the eagles used to, i used to consider the. but eagles, i don't
2: know that that most organizations i mean the the the, the trump campaign didn't the clinton campaign yeah, but you know, didn't, let's the this so all right okay so
0: here's my thing i agree with everything you said you've said about the parallels between the political arena and the sports arena. And, and I do agree that, you know, yeah, journalism is journalism, and reporting is reporting. And but there's also, I think, and Ann Gordon's probably a perfect example, and I think you know it from being in the buildings at every paper that you've worked at. The news side does take a different view of sports. Yes. Than, like, there is a lot of, like, rah-rah. Even yes. on the. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe even when Ann Gordon was here at the Inquirer, you know, she never really understood. I mean, we care about the, – the, and I think it's a it's unique to Philadelphia, and New York, and Chicago, and some of these bigger markets, the more passionate markets. But like, we d- they don't understand that the people we're writing for do follow this team the way they follow a political campaign, yep. and not necessarily like as a diversion. Yeah, like I, I mean, like, yeah, go right. back to like 2008 with the Phillies. where Zoo, like Zoo with Roy, the mm-hmm. blog, mm-hmm. ZooRoy dot great Phillies blog. Um, but they, he, you know, or Jimmy Kempsky with mm-hmm. Philly Voice. You know, they they take different. They they cover the team in a different way. Right. They have fun with it. You right. know? And I think a lot of people on the news side assume that's what sports coverage is. It's it's the toy department. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. And again, I keep mentioning news side versus sports side just because Ann Gordon was the managing editor at the Inquirer. Do you know do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think But uh, but I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't know that she understand like I don't know that she understands that readers want a critical analysis of, you know, Benny Logan's fourth year option or fifth year op or Fletcher Cox's fifth year option. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't, like there's people who want to, you know, read Zoo at Roy and I want to read Zoo at Roy Mm -hmm. um, and Jimmy Kemsky. but there's also people who want like a critical analysis. Mm -hmm. They want you to cover Benny Logan's contract renegotiations the way you would cover a a presidential campaign. And I think that there's part of that disconnect there.
1: Well, there is no zoo with Roy or Jimmy Kemsky unless the other stuff exists. You know, you can't, you can't. Ma- they're seasoning. We're the meat and the potatoes. Right. It, 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 and I believe what you said is is accurate as far as the perception of a sports department, especially right. this sports department. Via, you know from the eyes of people who aren't in the sports department, we consider ourselves to be as ethically bound and professionally motivated. As any other department, you know whether you're covering the mayor, right. Or you're covering the city, or you're covering the cops.
2: Look, just, just quick example: when the Phillies were in the World Series in 08, there's this famous story at the Inquirer, anyway, about a new side reporter coming to write a story about the fans at one of the World Series games. He showed up wearing a Phillies hat. Right. There's no sports reporter worth his his or her salt who would ever do that. Who would right, ever so right wear there. garb of the team he or she. So was that called.
0: encapsulates the the. I guess what I'm saying is there's two. There's kind of two. There are two different ways to look at it. There's the whole. The whole notion of you know you're you're a beat writer for the team you know you know you should be more of a you should be more on the team side than you are right now. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think that I guess what I'm saying is that doesn't necessarily at times that doesn't necessarily that's not specific to somebody in Ann Gordon with the Eagles right. position. I think the I think to which is why to me like the more interesting thing to me to look at it is like man the Eagles. Are actually allowing the media to get to them. Do you know what I'm saying? Where they yeah. u- they used yeah. to never do that before. They,
1: yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, at one point they tried to get John Gonzalez taken off the beat. Right. For you know, this was 2011. I think it was. Yeah. And they, we, I think we'll
0: actually be talking to John Gonzalez yeah, at some point. Yeah. We will.
1: They, be. they barred me from practice one day for when was know, this? And I think it was it was whenever they installed field turf. So it was in the. I guess it was Andy's second or third year here, 2000, yeah. 2001. Yeah,
2: and, and the other great example is that Joe Banner having discussions with Inquirer sports editors during the Phillies' run to the 08 World Series where he would count the column inches right. that the Inquirer and the Daily News were devoting to the Phillies compared to the Eagles. And was like, Joe, <laughs> they're in the World Series. You're in week four or five of your season. And, you know, you know
1: both both franchises have always timed announcements to undercut significant events, Relating to the other team, but you know that's kind of a that's kind of a petty, you know, team versus team issue that dates back, honestly, to the uh, to the stadium issue where the the Eagles feel the Phillies sabotaged their efforts. All that said, the the crux of the matter is, you know, it was an unbelievable series of events that escalated because a corporation made several mistakes in a row. And the entity that they made the mistakes against did the correct thing several times in a row, which seemed to enrage them all the more, which, you know, Dave's point is, how can you be considered a viable professional organization if you allow this to happen? And there's very little in that organization besides Derek Boyko and their charitable wing, which is run by Christina Lurie, um, that uh, depicts it in in the last what? four years as anything but a clown show. Well,
0: and I think that's kind of the, you mentioned Derek's name. I To me, the Eagles PR department has always been the most professional in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't had
2: flyers had, is very good.
0: Okay. I haven't had a ton of work with the flyers. I was about to say flyers are very good. mean, the Eagles do a good job uh, and they've rarely, there's been a lot of criticism of, one of the Eagles over the years. And this is the first time I remember anything like this happening. Mm-hmm. And it's the same PR staff. You know I mean? Derek, I think Derek does a good job and, and you know, Everybody beneath him or people he's trained, which is why the photo jumped out at me that you took, you know, put on Twitter when you saw Ian Gordon there standing with Derek looking was, like he had no desire to be where well, he it wasn't was at that point.
1: Derek, Derek was, was on the sideline. Right, he was, was not the there. Oh, then who was standing? That was the chief of security. Oh. Yeah. 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 Who does look like Derek. Okay. And yeah. everyone who saw it and knows Derek thinks it was Derek. However... Um, you're right. Had Derek been in the press box. That would not have happened. Not only would it not have happened, the, the initial smackdown wouldn't have happened. Right. And, you know, that's that's the underlying thing here. What they did, what Zach did in the moment was as unprofessional as Anne throwing Jeff out. Right. But
0: that's to me, that's understandable. Like we all have blow up. Right.
1: We all make mistakes. But hers as a vice president. Is amplified because vice presidents become vice presidents because they aren't supposed to make those. All mistakes. right, so that's
0: my whole point. So when Joe Banner was was here with the Eagles, I mean, he made some mistakes, but he, as you noted, he was notorious for calling up Daily News and Inquirer sports editors the day after the game and and mm-hmm. you know lobbying them on various different yeah. things, most of which was simply column inches. Right. Like he didn't care, necessarily care what those inches said; he just knew the value of of being. Right. You know, the number one team in the city. But we no one on the outside ever found out about that, right? right.
1: Nobody outside the building. Right, yeah. that's what right. I'm saying.
0: And nobody ever got kicked out of press boxes. Nobody ever did, you know, went, no one was ever singled out in the media as far as I can concern in a way. You know, maybe it was just because it was before Twi- Can you think of any? Well, no,
2: but but again, you also don't have, with with the proliferation of media, as I mentioned, has come avenues through which an organization like the Eagles... Thinks that it can get it it can kind of slough off any sort of bad press, you know, which in, in a way makes what they did to Jeff that much more puzzling, you know, which is, you know, you can have that they can have, um, you know, Howard Eskin, who, who has taken up residence in the Eagles media relations headquarters, go say whatever he wants to say or needs to say on the radio to stand up for the Eagles, they can have. You know Dave Spadaro say what he's going to say on Comcast Sportsnet and write what he's going to write on PhiladelphiaEagles.com.
1: They can censor WIP, their flagship exactly. station, exactly, which they've done on this issue twice. i heard in the first two days, right?
2: Which I mean, they can. That's that's just it. Is that I think I think the ignorance or um, the the calculation that Ann Gordon is making is that newspapers aren't that relevant anymore. What what a guy like Jeff McClain does isn't all that random, relevant, and I can stomp him like a bug, and. I'm going to have my rear end covered because this entity and this entity and this entity will allow will support me no matter what.
1: Honestly, Mike, I think you're really giving her way too much credit for what she thought in the moment. Okay. I think she got mad that Jeff said he was going to call the Professional Football Writers Association, and she said, well, if we're in for a penny, we're in for a pound, out you go. Because that's what she said. And mm-hmm. then she said that right after the incident to Bob Ford, an Inquirer columnist, yeah. who did reporting on it for your, your city-side uh, story in the Inquirer. So... I really don't think it was that sophisticated a a, a gambit. I think it was a, a sophomoric and unprofessional and regrettable uh, gut gut decision that you know she will probably regret for the rest of her life because <laughs> but that this so, is what she's going to be known for. Yeah. But yeah. isn't
0: that the point? Isn't that the forest for the trees or the trees for the forest, yeah. whichever way it works? I mean, like yeah, we, we yes, yeah, she was she was unprofessional. It was, it was a dumb, you know. Jeff, Jeff was in the right. R- regardless of what, this was a working press environment. Uh, a public relations staff isn't there to, you know, tell the reporters how to do their job. And they're certainly not there to threaten them with ejection if they don't go about their business in the way the team would prefer. But all that aside, just the fact that this happened to me is the... It, 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 is yeah. the instructive part of the whole thing. The fact that they cared enough, that yes. Jeff got an, under their skin enough yeah. to let their better angels, to silence their better angels and, and act in this manner.
1: Assuming better angels exist.
0: Right. Well, But that either way, <laughs> it, it, it's the same point. And, and that point is, this is an organization that allowed something like this to, to turn into a four-day story right. in which they have absolutely... No way to come out looking good. Like it, it, there was a lose-lose situation. If this was Game Three, like that would have been a dominated. <laughs> that was a dominated strategy right there. There was no reason for them to make that decision. Regardless, even if they were in the right, it it, it, it was dumb. I mean, we have we've had pithy aphorisms written throughout history about the pen and the sword and how you don't fight yeah. one with the other. And well, and you know this is this is an organization to me that used. To have a person in charge who understood that kind of stuff and, and kind of had a trickle down, uh, stabi- kind of a stability that kind of trickled down from the president's office that said we're above getting into pissing matches with Jeff McLean. Which you the have, I,
2: and I think, I think what you're speaking to is a general kind of insecurity exactly. within the organization. I think you see it with respect to their football operations side, um, kind of the, the lack of trust in their own decision making. You know, big overhaul in 2011, we're building the dream team okay, that, that didn't work. Andy Reid, the you know coach of 14 years, is out. Chip Kelly's in. Oh, wait. Chip Kelly overhauls the roster. Now he's out. Now Doug Peterson's in. Now we got to make more changes. Now we're giving up all this for Carson Wentz. It's, it's this churn of we just don't trust ourselves very much to kind of make the right decision.
1: Well, the degree of anxiety in that office is palpable. And I've been around that office for 20 years. It's never been you know, it's never been this bad when Ray Rhodes' regime was bad, when, uh, you know, the, the, the end of the uh, Cotite days, it was kind of comical, and everybody knew there was going to be an overhaul, and everybody knew there was going to be a, a raised bar of professionalism, and that's what Ray Rhodes with his San Francisco and Green Bay connections did, to, you know, to whatever, you know, end. And then Andy Reid amplified that, and then Chip Kelly undercut it, and it's kind of been going downhill ever since. But the reality is, and we keep getting back to it, since Joe Banner left, the, not only has the team been underperforming or performing badly, it has had very little consistent, strong leadership and very a very, very weak voice. You know, Don Smolensky may grow into the job, but he's had this job for a while now. And he's nobody, the president of the team. the team.
2: And nobody knows who he is.
1: Exactly. He's the president of the team. And reports to him, and he reports to Jeffrey Lurie. Don Smolensky has been silent on this issue. He's been largely silent on things like the coaching searches. The it's always
0: funny when they drop his name. Like, like oh yeah, him. Uh, it's like, well, like Howie's or, uh, oh yeah, uh, like the Josh Huff thing. Yeah, it was a collective decision. You know, me, Howie, and Do- Don sat down. Wait, 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 wait. Who? Yeah. yeah. Like I was like, would he say Dom? I yeah. thought literally when he, he said that during the job, thing, I thought he guy, said Dom yeah. the security guy. Yeah. And it was only until later when I was like, oh, he said Don as in Don Smolensky is yeah. in. Oh, yeah. That's the first time he's me, the president.
1: Howie, me, Howie, uh, Jeffrey, Howie said, uh, yeah, me, Jeffrey, and uh, me, Jeffrey, Doug, and Don sat, sat down, you know, after Don got back with the sandwiches, you know. Right.
2: <laughs> God.
1: All right. I mean, do so, show, show me what you're doing, you know. The, the, the correct, you know, we haven't really broached this subject, but the correct. Procedure, even the next day, was for Don Smolensky to say, "Hey, you know what? We did something that we regret. Hopefully, it won't affect the relationship. We apologize, and going forward, we have learned a lesson. And thank you for your understanding at this time of crisis. And it's we're not talking about this right now. Yeah, but the Eagles do not have the capacity." For self-examination, and the greatest example of that is they rehired Howie Roseman to run yes. the front office, yeah.
0: and that is a great segue. <laughs> yes, it is because we're going to talk about Howie Roseman. Marcus, you and I were there. Uh, uh, you and I were there throughout the duration of today's. It was it was it was epic. Howie, vintage <laughs> Howie, I should vintage say. Howie, classic
1: Howie, yeah. like
2: total Howie, complete Howie, that's right, full Howie. Howie. Howie.
0: Like this was Howie. I was kind of interested because he's clearly. In a game, you know, if this was Game of Thrones, he has, you know, greatly fortified his position over the last <laughs> year. Uh, and I was curious if, like, we'd see a guy who was a little more secure with himself as he talked. But I, I don't know, I don't know about you, Marcus. But the thing that jumped out at me throughout that press conference, well, first of all, the fact that he opened it like a preacher. It's like, "Good morning, good morning. Uh, Are you
2: ready for a miracle? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Put your hands in the air, <laughs> ready as I can be." <laughs> But that was weird. I was like, "Wow, all right." Our first reading today. Uh, it was it was the fact that he spent most of the press conference throwing Chip Kelly under the bus. Passive aggre- I think it's the passive aggression to kind of tie these two subjects together. Well, it's-, it's the passive aggression that jumped out at me. Like like kicking Jeff McLean out of the press box during the third quarter of an Eagles game. Not only is stupid because you're assuming that a press box full of reporters won't report about it and make you look silly, uh, but it's also just passive aggressive and and and. Uh, not finicky. What what is the word I'm looking for?
1: Fascist.
2: <laughs> no, not fascist. Just just persnickety. Persnickety. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Petty. And I think yeah. that
0: yeah. you heard that in Howie. You always hear that. And today, you know, how many times did he mention the fact that they didn't have a second and fourth round draft pick last year? Like how many times? You know, at one point, he, someone asked him about the wide receiver position, and he said, "I wish I had a DeLorean time machine so I could go back to those years when we were." Averaging 20 yards a catch. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, and change all those things. Know what I'm saying? And then, obviously, five minutes later, Jeff McLean, mm-hmm. Speak of the Devil, jumps in and says, hey, Howie, you know, how did you, you know, would you, if you could go back in time, would you like, not, read, not cut to redo, Sean, yeah. cut to Sean <laughs> and how he says, well, I, I can't talk about players yeah. that are under contract where it's like, did you clearly like, yeah, the only thing you meant by the DeLorean time machine was that oh, it was Chip Kelly's fault, not mine. Look right. how it
1: look. He got fired. Well, you yeah. have to sort of understand. It's this. just a
0: very small thing to do, especially a year after you've already dealt with the Chip Kelly thing and like come out yeah. standing on top where now like your job is to, right. you know, uh, talk about your doctrine moving forward when still all you could talk about was, how bad Chip Kelly was.
1: Well, there has to be an excuse. There has to be how his job today in his 30 minute (sighs) address was, (laughs) it was
0: very, it it was (laughs) like a, it started off like a state of the union.
1: Yeah.
2: Four score and two head coaches ago. That's
1: right. It it was his, uh, his goal clearly was to paint himself as a facilitator of a franchise that could win tomorrow because the reality was a year ago they fully expected to re-sign Sam Bradford Mm -hmm. to franchise quarterback money. They had no idea Carson Wentz would cost them a number two or was rated as like the number two quarterback in the draft. All that happened after the coaching staff was assembled. They had no idea that Howie would make so many absolutely – horrendous moves addressing the two greatest positions of need. Quarterback was not a position of need last year. Sam Bradford, according to Howie, was very likely to come back. He was their number one priority. Not Fletcher Cox, Sam Bradford. And it was not drafting a franchise quarterback. It was Sam Bradford. Okay? So him couching last year as the pursuit of Carson Wentz and look how bright we are is total revisionist history. The idea last year was get Sam Bradford some weapons and get some cornerbacks. He failed abjectly in both avenues. And that's the only thing you need to know about Howie Roseman's grade going forward. They might have drafted a really good quarterback, but that was not the objective. They might have drafted two pretty good offensive linemen and a good running back. That also was not the objective. Prime objective.
0: I also think we're giving the running back at two offensive linemen way more way more credit than they deserve on film.
1: There, there is there is a possibility the running back stinks. I'll just say it right now. Okay, fine. Maybe the running back stinks. My point is, he had two jobs to do besides re-signing Sam Bradford, not drafting Carson Wentz, re-signing Sam Bradford. He failed in both of those aspects and refused to take any responsibility for thirty minutes today. He he said, "Okay, we've 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 covered those issues with band aids. Well, you're the one who put the band aid on it."
2: Here, here's the thing, though, Marcus. I mean, I can't rip him too badly. Like Murph had one job to do today, and he came in in a man bun. Okay, so you can't go too hard on Howie.
1: <laughs> Listen, there. at least it's fashionable. Yeah,
0: I, I had stuff coming out both ends for the last forty-eight hours, so.
1: <laughs> well, it's all three now. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, it, yeah. now it's just
0: coming out of one end, as usual on this podcast. No, I
2: I, Marcus, I think your point is well taken. It's one that, that Dave and I have talked about a lot, just this, the, the idea of they didn't know what they wanted this to be. This went from Jeffrey Lurie firing Chip Kelly and saying, this team had enough talent to make the playoffs, and that's part of the reason we're firing him, to – Oh, now we have to reboot the whole thing. Well, and, and last know, year the, the dialogue—the
1: dialogue was, "Well, we're going to re-sign Sam Bradford because we think we can make the playoffs. What we right. need to do is address these other positions, right. get Sam Bradford back, and bada bing, bada boom—we got Benny Logan, we got Fletcher Cox, we got Zach Ertz, we've got Lane Johnson, yada yada yada." Well, you were wrong. Yeah. Number one and number two, you were incredibly deficient in your pursuit of taking the next step. Never did Howie Roseman say, Hey, you know what? I made some pretty bad signings this year. This is on me.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have written and, and I would argue, we I think we have argued that it might have been smarter, like the, the smarter route for them to take might have been their original route to take, which was bank on Sam Bradford to stay healthy, just be a competent two above average quarterback if he stays upright and fill in, as you you know, as you mentioned, fill in the gaps around him, make the team around him stronger um now you're in a situation where you know the surest thing you have moving forward it seems to me really is Carson Wentz and he's not a sure thing you just all you do all you know is well he's our guy he he's the guy who we think is going to be the franchise quarterback and we don't know what we have at cornerback, and we think Jordan Hicks is a pretty good linebacker, and it looks like he's a pretty good linebacker. Uh, but our defensive line—you know—is Benny Logan going to be back? Is Connor Barwin going to be back? If so, at less money, what are we going to do along the offensive line? Can we trust Lane Johnson? Will Jason Peters take a pay cut to come back? What are we going to do with wide receiver? What are we going to do with running back?
1: You know, the only there are thing more is, questions now yeah. than this time last year because of what Howie Roseman did and did badly well
0: and the thing i kept on thinking throughout today's press conference and there are times when i wish these things were like people sometimes envision them in our readership which is like the scenes the scene from uh, a few good men where like the reporter is uh is tom cruise and and (laughs) howie (laughs) roseman is jack nicholson and and i want the truth like Uh, yeah i'm telling you man if you put me in a room, room for a half hour howie roseman and i could just debate him i think that would that would be fun, yeah. but like it just doesn't work like that. So the whole time I'm like <laughs> thinking, just like thinking all of these things that I would yell at Howie Roseman if, if that was <laughs> this was actually the venue to do so. Uh, and he kept on talking about this quarterback and, and his whole, you know, the Howie doctrine today was totally, I won this year because for all our other faults, we got a quarterback of the future, right? you know? And, and if you look at teams, and, and he kept on saying, we want to be a team that gets the bye, which is what you need to get to the Super Bowl, you know, which is – essentially he was saying we want to build for the long – we want to be sustainably good right. and not just, you know, flashing the pan right. good. Which is all well and good, except the two teams that have the buys this year are the Seahawks and the Cowboys. Right? The Seahawks have the buy, Yes. Seahawks and the Cowboys, who got their quarterbacks in the third and fourth rounds, the latter of whom came in the fourth round of the draft that you got your quarterback that you are winning this year based on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, It's, it's I, like I,
2: – I wrote this well, – I wrote this – Like the whole no- – This whole notion – no, that- I was just going to say, I wrote this Sunday, which is the Eagles did the thing. We, again, we've talked about this. The Eagles did the thing that really any team that wants to go get a quarterback can do. They're going to overpay or outpay any everybody else. Here's what the, the market is for the number two pick in the draft. Here's what we are willing to give beyond that to get it. They didn't go out and say, you know what? Dak Prescott looks pretty good to us. We might be able to get him in the third or fourth round. We can address these other needs and make the collective team stronger.
1: Well, the, the reality... I do not disagree with their strategy of negotiating a two-year contract for Sam Bradford, who is the f- the focus the the only person who mattered in the offseason last season but in the preseason was Sam Bradford. They focused on replacing Sam Bradford at some point because Sam Bradford declined to sign a longer term deal and be the franchise quarterback. number one, number two, Unless Howie, Tanya Harding, Teddy Bridgewater's (laughs) knee, Mm -hmm. he gets no credit for Carson Wentz developing this year because he planned to not have Carson Wentz develop this year, to go into the next season either having to cut or trade Sam Bradford and hope Carson Wentz is okay. So there is no viable narrative where Howie can say, I went out and got us a franchise quarterback, in part because he's not the one who stumped for him, and also because – Teddy Bridgewater's injury is the only reason Carson Wentz is relevant in this conversation to this degree right now.
0: It is fascinating to think that that if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't get hurt, we're still. I, I mean, I would I would have to th- think that Carson Wentz would have. I, I think he would have played anyway. Right. I do. Which I we, think they would have. But I, you're but you're correct in that he definitely would not have had those three that three and start. You know, because Sam Bradford would have had that. You know, would have had that three and start. We would be
1: having a conversation right now about whether the, and a team that went 8-8 eight and eight under Sam Bradford is wiser to retain Sam Bradford at, I think, a cost of something like uh, $15 million because the 35, I think he would have gotten 20 and then 15. Would it be wiser to retain him or essentially throw this year away and start with a rookie quarterback who, at the beginning of this season, we were all confident was going to be awful? Hmm. So, you know... The, the, just going back to September, much less March 1st when Sam Bradford signed, there is no viable, real conversation to be had about Carson. Oh, we knew about Carson Wentz all along. The second, third, fourth game, Doug Peterson was saying, hey, he's surprising us as much as he's surprising you.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, but on that note, we, we have to talk to Gonzo, right, at We some do, point? we all do. Right. Well, let's let's build no, a, you get
1: to talk to
0: Gonzo. We get to talk to Gonzo. He's out there. He's probably just waking up the, out there on the yeah. West Coast, right? <laughs> he probably is. All right, Marcus.
2: Cracking noon. Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. So bro. now we have with us, um, in kind of a mini LaSalle confab, um, uh, we have on the line John Gonzalez, former columnist at the Inquirer, former. Uh, employee, I guess you'd say, kind of jack-of-all-trades I don't Comcast think i guess you'd say he was
0: definitely an employee. Here.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to capture the essence of guns uh, at Comcast Sportsnet. He wrote, he did the 700-level show, he appeared on TV all the time, uh, now a freelance journalist living on the well, West Coast. he also worked coast. for the Inquirer. I mentioned he worked for the oh. Inquirer, if you were listening. Um, Until you overthrew him.
3: <laughs> this, is, this is going great, guys. Yeah. <laughs> So, Gons is now on the West
2: Coast, and he did a piece for TheRinger.com, Bill Simmons' uh, sports and pop culture website, uh, which was basically an oral history of the Jeff McClain and Gordon incident. So, we want to invite him in now to kind of discuss the piece. Gons, how's it going?
3: Hey, gang. How are you? I love this. It's uh, not so many uh, LaSalle contact. And also, I think in the... You two are the perfect people to talk to about this, uh, especially Murph, because of our history.
2: Yeah. You know, you you conveniently left that out of the piece you wrote, by the way. I was I was you know I don't I, think I didn't pick up on that.
3: I, I did not. Oh, you did? I did did not, you link actually, to it? No, there's a there's a fun Murph Don's Easter egg in the piece. Oh,
0: uh, nice. okay. I'll, All right. Good. I'll have to read it now. Good. Uh, <laughs> there we <it> go. <goes. laughs> the uh, I would like to say you and I invented the Twitter beef. I'm pretty sure.
3: Yeah, we're the OGs of the Philly Twitter beef, Murph.
0: Every everything's—it's been all downhill since then. Yes. It's very, everything has been derivative since the the <laughs> uh, the Gons uh, the Gons Murphy Twitter beef. But I think you have a little more relevant uh, point of view on the current situation because you, at one point, I believe, uh, were a victim of the Eagles' wrath, were you not? Don't, didn't I remember John Gonzalez not being allowed to cover the Eagles for a year or something like that? Was that true, or was that yeah. did I just make that up?
3: Yeah, no, this is, you know what, this is interesting uh, because I've never really spoken about this because I worked at Comcast Sportsnet and everything there is like hyper-buttoned up. Uh, But now I don't, so screw it. Um, (laughs) Yes. uh, When I I first got there, they kind of pulled a bait and switch on me. I left the Inquirer and they said, we're going to have you come in, we're going to do a bunch of stuff. And uh, like as I was signing my contract, they were like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, we're not going to have you cover the Eagles to start. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, I just quit my job. Uh, you didn't tell me any of this. I'm about to sign this this contract. And uh, long story short, someone at the Eagles who was very powerful, who I still very much believe to be Joe Banner, even though Joe denied it, uh, got with our quote-unquote or their quote-unquote corporate partners, Comcast Sportsnet, and said, hey, yeah, if you're going to hire him, we don't want him around. And, yeah, they sat me on the bench for a year because of that. Now, eventually, like, you know, all was well, and I covered the team again. And But, yeah, I, I got I got stuck on the sideline.
2: Why? What had you written that had upset uh, them so much? Or what well, had you done? So, had you thrown someone out so, of the press box or something?
3: This, right. Um, so, this might—you guys know me better than most. Uh, I'm an acquired taste. So, I think— I think some of the things that I wrote about Joe Banner in specific – I mean, look, there's not a single – I don't think there's a single writer or uh, host or talent, personality, whatever you want to say, in Philadelphia that hasn't gotten a phone call from the Eagles or an Eagles intermediary uh, during that Banner era where, like, they were complaining about something. But the difference was when I worked at the Inquirer, uh, Jim Cohen, who was the editor at the time, would sort of just laugh them off the phone or when I – like, for the – six and a half days that I had a radio show, they'd do the same thing. And when I worked at Comcast to start, they didn't know me. They didn't, they were bringing me in, but I don't think that they felt like that same sort of like loyalty. They weren't going to pick a fight with the Eagles. So it was easier for them just to make nice. So they had a whole stack of columns that I had written about the Eagles and Joe Banner that I guess they found objectionable. And they're like, what about this? What about this? And I'm like, Are you... so I feel like, explain and defend most of them. It was a lot of fun to start.
0: <laughs> Sounds like an awkward way to get off to, uh, to get off to your new gig.
3: Yeah, it could have been better. But again, I like, despite that bumpy start and I've, I've articulated this to the people at coffee. I, I really, really liked it there. It was a bad way to start, but despite that, it like, they were really good to me. They let me, after that one moment, they let me basically do whatever I wanted uh, which was probably a bad idea, but great for me.
0: Well, it's, it's also uh, so kind of it, it worked out. It's also kind of interesting because, like, not to defend them, but like, I mean, they are like they are corporate partners, you know. I mean, it's kind of a different animal than than uh, you know, it's a different animal than than newspapers where you're kind of not beholden to anybody. I mean, look, NBC Ten has a relationship with with uh, you know some of the sports teams in town, and and whatever. That's not really the point of our no. discussion here. My question is, why do you think? uh you know as we we've discussed earlier with Marcus Hayes, Joe Banner clearly you know had his ear to the ground with regards to the the media in this town um you know why do you think he never kicked any bit of a press box i guess is is my question and and why do you think the Eagles chose yesterday uh, as a time to think such a thing was a smart way to do business
3: yeah, that is confounding to me, Murph. I think it's confounding to a lot of people, which is why you know I call c l c and a bunch of the other guys because. Look, I mean, we've all been in that press box a ton, right? I mean, I spent not just, you know, the last eight years, but times before that uh, in that press box and the that press box and, you know, uh, basketball games and whatever. I mean, we we all circulate together in those environments. And I think Les and, and Ford put it best, I, I've never seen anything like that. I wasn't there, obviously, Mike was. Uh, I don't know that proximity to the event like would lend any more clarity, which is why we ended up with this piece. It was like sort of all of us staring uh, in wonder and bewilderment at what had happened. But also, this is really the thrust of the piece, and I just talked to Hoffman about it. I, like I, We have a, like, a really weird collection of human beings in that city <laughs> who cover sports, and it's often contentious, a, a, again, as Murph and I know, uh, and friendships can sometimes be tried or um, strained, but then there is a moment like this where this wonderful collection of weirdos rallies to each other's defense, and that's what is so damn endearing about Philly sports media.
0: Well, that's like the puzzle. Yeah. I've said this a couple times today, but the puzzling thing to me is that uh, if you were, if you were, if you were to have told me that somebody was going to be the first person to get kicked out of the Eagles press co- press box, I would probably have McLean like third or fourth on the list. Uh, you know, I think I think I would definitely have less than Ruben ahead of him. Uh, you know, you know maybe Echol, You know, on one of his days. Uh, you know, I mean, there's definitely maybe even Ford. Ford can come out come out with some uh, <laughs> some vitriol that that could be overheard by the yeah. wrong person at times.
2: I, I, here's here's what I'm curious about, John. Again, we discussed this with Marcus, which is my feeling is that you know. The Eagles didn't have to do this, and one of the reasons they didn't have to do this, obviously they didn't have to do it, but one of the primary reasons they didn't have to do it, and I've gotten this through some conversations I've had with Ann Gordon before this incident happened, is that it seems to me that they very clearly perceive and have calculated that there are media entities, including obviously their own website, and there are people within the media market of Philadelphia who will tell their story, who will put their message out there, and... They feel like they can kind of blunt whatever criticism that a place like The Inquirer or a guy like Jeff McClain might levy against them because, hey, we've got Howard Eskins, you know, making, you know, unfolding a cot in the media relations office and, and staying there on a nightly <laughs> basis, you know, and getting our message out there. And we've got other people who do similar things, be it on TV, websites, whatever the case may be. I can't reconcile that. Like, I, I can't reconcile why they thought it necessary to kind of try to squish Jeff like a bug when they clearly feel like, hey, if it doesn't matter if the Inquirer, or the Daily News or Philly.com rips us because we've got all these other avenues to, you know, to gain praise.
3: Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, I don't I don't understand that that approach. Um, I, I wonder though if it's less see like so with my situation, when they put me, they got with Comcast, and Mark mentioned, like, you know, the, the clip of partnership, and I'm not numb to that, I get it, uh, even though it changed for me afterwards, and I don't think anybody would say that, like, you know, Comcast puts handcuffs on Reuben. They certainly don't. But it's weird, because I think that there's, like, individuals within these, within these respective organizations who wield outside influence or make, like, not to say unilateral decisions, but decisions that are, like, apart from what the overall organization might have done, like, You know, Joe Banner had his own access to grind and was happy to do them and had the power to do it. But I don't think that that was, like, necessarily representative of the Eagles. Similarly, in this situation, I don't know Ann Gordon. Maybe you guys do. I tried, like, hell to get her. She didn't want to be uh, talked to. She gave a quote to the Inquirer, and that was it. But I don't think, like, we all know Derek Boyko, who's the PR of Pancho, who, like, we deal with the most, and his lieutenant. And they are reasonable human beings. They're actually they're really good at their jobs. I've had wonderful conversations with them. I would say that most of us really like those guys. And I think if it had been Derek in the box at the time, it wouldn't have happened.
0: I agree. And we yeah. talked about uh, we talked about this as well with Marcus. I mean, th- that was one of the surprising things to me. I was I was not there because uh, as a daily news writer, I didn't have to write for a newspaper the next day, so I was out like every other American and drinking on on New Year's Day, but. Like that was the thing that flashed through my mind, why is this happening? This is so unlike you know Derek and the PR department that we've come to know just because they're they don't make dumb decisions like this, and you know again take take the propriety and impropriety and who is in the right, who is in the wrong out of it. It was just a dumb decision for any organization to make because there's no way for them to come out looking good because you've got a press box full of reporters who are sympathetic to Jeff McLean watching this and and there's no way that the the organization is going to come out looking See, but it.
2: that's that's where I think you might be wrong. I th- I think Ann Gordon and and you know, maybe it's just a spur of the moment decision. She doesn't like Jeff McClain, here's a chance to nail Jeff McClain. But I think part of her thinking is a calculation that there are people in that press box who will take our side, that this is not universally, you know, pro we are not in a universally pro Jeff McClain Defensive Jeff McLean environment that there are going to be people who are going to say, "Yeah, the Eagles were in the right because Jeff McClain doesn't like the Eagles, and it's okay for the Eagles to throw him out."
0: Yeah, I, yeah. she was wrong. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, guns Yeah, she was definitely wrong. No, I think she was.
3: I think she was definitely wrong. I think that the that but that's whole, that was for me. This, so the piece had like two elements to it, right? It was like from a just like journalistic standpoint, where everybody who doesn't know us. Right. Stand back and look at it and go. That's weird. Let's talk about that. But then that that you just made that calculation where she was like, "Well, I could toss him because he has his own enemies, not just like you know among the fan base, but like within the Philadelphia media." That part was like the heart and the crux of the piece. Otherwise, it's just a—it's just like, "Hey, somebody got kicked out of a box," which is weird. Like the the dynamic within the Philadelphia media, and I, I think like it's sometimes hard for us to see the forest through the mm-hmm. trees because we have spent so—I mean, literally. Sealski and I went to college together. We've been doing this kind of thing together for, I don't know, two decades now. Yep. And then like Ford mentioned in the piece, like most of this press corps has been together for 30 years. So like we've, these incidents where like we argue or bicker with each other have happened so many times that I couldn't even give you like a top 10, right? Like if I had to sit down and write it out, it would be really hard. Right. But then you had something where like that happens. And as, um, I forget who said it in the piece, but it was kind of like, you were. oh, it was Lex. And he said, you're reminded that, oh, yeah, we are all on the same team. Yeah, and,
2: but and, and, in a weird way, though, guns. I mean, that's not even the point. Like, the, the, the guys who were—the bickering amongst the guys, amongst the reporters, wasn't even bickering. It wasn't like they were shouting at each other and there was conflict there. There was just loud talking about uh, a weird call on the field, and the conflict came between Zach Grohn and that group of guys, you know, it wasn't that's what precipitated it. And that's and that's kind of what is interesting to me. It wasn't as if the Eagles kind of stepped into the breach and saw like Jeff McClain fighting with Les Bowen. It was group of sports right. writers are being loud, PR guy says shut up or whatever he says, sports writers, you know, give it back to him. Jeff steps out to kind of try to settle matters, everything seems settled, and then the Eagles sees on that to to throw Jeff out of the press box. In my thinking, with the calculation that they're looking at it, saying we're the Eagles, people will defend us just because we're the Eagles.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and I and I understand that, and like I, uh, all right, I, I don't understand why they tossed them out. I understand why maybe Ann Gordon might think that way, um, but I. that environment that you're talking about, like Ford touched on it. He said like, it was misunderstood by somebody who doesn't understand that environment. Like just like that loud in the press box thing. That is what happens in a product. And Elliot mentioned this too. and Elliot wasn't wrong. And and I know he'll probably get some back from the people who are in Philly sports media about it. But like when he said like a lot of the time we're the worst, like it's true. Like if you're not part of us and you were just observing us being obnoxious and being loud as a matter of like, you know, regular workplace occurrence, you might think, oh, that's annoying. Or Zach obviously has had, Zach Rowan has had more exposure to us, but maybe he just got annoyed by it, you know? Like, I don't begrudge him that. I do, however, begrudge how they reacted by kicking him out. I don't think that was Zach's decision at all.
0: Yeah, I, that's, that's I, I've always, Zach's always struck me as a reasonable yeah, guy. I mean, I know, to me it was like, like you say, Gans, these, these arguments happen, you know, like we, everyone snaps at somebody at some point and probably regrets it later. And, and usually it plays out exactly how it played out between Zach and Jeff, where, from what I read in your story and have, have talked to everybody involved about, was, was essentially cooler heads prevailing. Yeah. I mean, the look. The two of them, you know, saying, all right, you know, whatever. We, we, we settled this. Like, let's just go back and forget yeah. it ever happened. And then, you know, this, this senior vice president who's supposed to be the person that makes good decisions in the department. Uh, you know, swoops in and, and turns an absolute shit. It just turns it into a shitstorm, you know?
3: <laughs> I mean, look. Wait, we- you know what, though? Like, wait, wait. So, so the part where you're just saying, like, like people yelling at each other, um, we're just talking loudly, right? So I don't, I, I want to really, like, underscore this point. I don't blame Zach for getting annoyed because yes. how many times yeah, true. have you heard Rube scream right. working at one of us for <laughs>
2: <laughs> But that's my whole point. That
3: happens all the time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, look, we we, we exist in a profession where if you cover baseball, at least until recently, it was routine for a manager and an umpire to settle disputes by screaming at each other or a manager to call in a writer he's not happy with and scream at him. There's a lot of like yelling and screaming and immature behavior in pro sports, period, and that includes the media. Um, And you either kind of, you know, you try to be professional and, and you try not to do that, but it's around you all the time. So you either roll with it and handle it the best way you can or and accept it as kind of part of your environment, or you overreact completely. And that's what Ann Gordon did. I think.
0: Who uh who was your longest yeah. conversation of all these guys that you talked to?
3: Who was the one now? Who was the who, longest conversation? Who was the
0: longest conversation of all these, uh like how many hours of sports writers talking about this <laughs> incident do you have on tape right now? <laughs> uh
3: it, it took a long time. Um, I basically spent from the moment it happened until the moment like I filed it, just working straight through. with like a nap in between. Uh, the longest one I'll, I'll see right now. I'm mean, look at my call log here. So I recorded all the conversations. sealski and I had a good conversation, although it was much more academic. Yes, um, it was. Like, our conversation was like more about like the journalistic practices of what was happening. And then like with Ford, it was just him
2: making jokes a, a yeah. lot.
3: Um, <laughs> The longest conversation was me and Sealski, 29 minutes.
2: There you go. God. I filibustered. My, my goal, honestly, my goal was to talk so much that he wouldn't be able to use but a quote of me. And then I would stay out of the fray uh, and, and wouldn't Wait, say anything incendiary.
3: So you had one quote in there because like you are, you're like a really rational, thoughtful human being. Uh, which I'm not sure how much. That had no that is, place like, in that story at all, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and as you said on Twitter, right, represent- th- th- there was no insight from Zach Berman just because he's the nicest human being on the planet and doesn't belong in Philadelphia for that reason. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, Zach actually texted me this morning and, and said, he's like, dude, you didn't reach out. And I was like, Zach, I love you, and you're so nice, which is why you are in the <laughs> <You> couldn't <laughs> possibly be in that team.
0: <laughs> This is so. I I just can't believe this is actually. I, I'm sitting here scrolling through your story, and I just can't believe this is almost the, like a dream.
2: The the, the highlight though, the highlight of the line. Kemsky, Bowen, McClain, Yeah. Hayes. The the highlight was Ford's line, and what you know, um, uh, applauding uh, McLean because it took three security guards. Most most sports writers would only take half a security guard to get them out of the press box. The Eagles needed three to get Jeff McClain out. <laughs>
0: The irony that Jeff's greatest champion in this is Les Bowen is palpable. Marcus <laughs> with Marcus bringing it down. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the other thing. So that's you, you talk about all these uh, these beefs. I mean, Les Les Bowen morphs into wartime correspondent on Twitter while this whole thing is going down and and is just delivering this epic blow by blow of the entire situation. Meanwhile, you know Jeff and Les like if we if you and I invented the Twitter fu- Twitter feud. Lesson Jeff per- perfected, perfected,
3: perfected it. Perfected, perfected
2: it. it. Yes.
3: Yeah. There's no doubt about it. They were. Uh, they were the national level. Yeah,
2: they were. Um, but but you know, as I said to Gons yesterday when he talked to me, HR they, is already on the phone telling us yeah. so that we cannot talk about this. Um, as I said to Gans yesterday um, when we were talking about this and analyzing it, uh, and you know, these remarks were left on his cutting room floor. But I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to give them to you now, which is that. Um, with with all these other sites, right, like a guy like Les, and I, th- I don't think Les would deny this even a little bit, like a guy like Les, I think, just inherently looks at a site like Bleeding Green Nation, for instance, and doesn't like it, kind of naturally repels from it because his upbringing professionally is journalism, is play it down the middle, is write what the truth is or what you think the truth is, whether it helps the team or hurts the team. And so he and Jeff, as more and more of these those kinds of uh media entities come around and start covering the team, he and Jeff get a natural like professional bond there because they're gonna they're gonna approach it the same way and they can kind of look around and go, geez, can you believe, you know, this fan site or that fan site or this T V guy or that T V guy and before you know it, the fact that they threw hands is less important than the fact that they're on the same side of the fight.
3: Yeah, I mean I look I think that that bond uh, and that like natural inclination towards, I mean, and they talked about it at length and again, I couldn't get all of this stuff in there. Uh, I tried to get most of it in there, but they really like Jeff, uh, one of the things that ended up on the cutting room floor was Jeff going on about how he really respects the way Les does the job and that he thinks that Les is a fantastic storyteller and less saying that Jeff is an, you know, an intrepid dog reporter and has this, Um, sort of bulldog mentality and there was like that mutual respect for that um that sort of journalistic ethos how you go about doing the job i mean look when i first came home i was gone for eight years when i first came home i and i had the inquiry column my column was definitely not traditional and rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and i think like maybe two of them are on the phone with me right now and it like there were there were times when like yeah, it wasn't just blogs and stuff. It was like this is a new way of doing things. It's not just a traditional media environment anymore, and it took a while for people to acclimate to that, and maybe they still haven't to a certain extent. So, yeah, that that natural bond between them is, I think, important.
0: Elliot kind of emerges as like the uh, the I don't know. He's kind of like the the vo- he's kind of a unique voice in your in your story. I'll say that. Elliot Shore Parks. Uh, what did you yeah. get? What did you get out of his perspective on the whole thing? He, 'cause so, I, mean, it, I wasn't. Sh- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh,
3: no, I, I wasn't sure. So I really like Elliot. Um, I consider him a friend. We talk a lot. Uh, he was somebody. So again, like it's important for people who don't, who are listening, who don't really understand, like that this fraternity feel. Like a lot of us have been in this group for a long time. Like I said, Stielski and I have known each other since we were kids. Um, Ford and those guys have known each other longer. Elliot was a newcomer and he was, as a result of that, like that outsider element, what didn't make it easy for him to acclimate. Um, But I've always really liked him. And so when I was talking to him about this, he doesn't have that same sort of like entrenched loyalty to the, to the system, Mm -hmm. which made it easier for him to just be like, yeah, we are sometimes worst because we are. He's right. I found I found him to be sort of a truth teller in it. Yeah. Um, like I know that he's going to get some blowback for for it, but I found it hilarious. Also, he shot that video, which is a public service. Yeah. Like that video <laughs> of a Samuel, is the greatest thing in the piece.
0: I yeah, and, and I well no, the greatest thing in the piece is the uh, the eagle swooping down on Rich Berg as, yeah. he, as he looks down. <laughs> the, that is just a fantastic illustration, uh, and Buster uh, looking up from the first row, uh, in the left <laughs> the left of that shot. The, uh, no, Elliot, I kind of, so I, I give Elliot crap all the time on Twitter and I, half of what he writes just bothers the crap out of me and I let him know it. But mm-hmm. I actually, li- I, I, I like Elliot a lot. I think he's a good kid and, uh, or a good guy. I don't know how much younger he is. Than he is. He's but, a really uh, good dude. He's and, and frankly, I do kid. understand the, like, it's funny because I, I, I think it's more pronounced in this piece because most of the people you talk to are like the old guard of the old guard. Yeah. Um. Uh, i mean as entrenched as you can get i mean and you were you were definitely you were you definitely empathize empathize you would definitely empathize with why does it sound like i'm i don't now? know I try to empathize say empa- empathize with elliot um as you said with your column i mean back in the day you were the new guy and like frankly I've, i think i feel like i've always kind of been more on the i don't want to say avant-garde fringe of things but i've always kind of been a media hater at times uh I mean, we can be very – I agree with everything Elliot said, essentially.
1: Yeah, uh, I
2: mean, I th- I think uh, – well, I mean, look, I, I, do I think we can complain too much and we can um, take things for granted, take our jobs for granted, take how hard the job is for granted because it, it isn't really that hard? Um, yeah, I, I think that's true to a lot of extent, to a great extent. And Gans, you and I talked about this again, about I sort of more lament the aspect of the old media is the kind of – there is, to me, an element of the go-along-to-get-along within the market. This idea that just seems to be kind of unspoken of there are certain ways you can criticize a team or there are certain um, qualities that a coach, player, executive can have that sort of render him a, quote-unquote, good guy or something like that. To you me know so what I mean?
0: guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's this thing within the media, there's a pack mentality, to certain regards. And I think that this is kind of what Elliot was getting at, um, that if you do anything differently from the way everybody else is doing it, you are, Im- you're immediately treated with suspicion, if not outright hostility. Uh, yeah. Agree or disagree?
3: Oh, a hundred percent, dude. Uh, absolutely. Like, I think that there's, look, like Elliot doesn't do things the way that the guys that we read when we we're coming up do them. Right, and and there's a, there because of that, and because he wasn't somebody who grew up in the Philadelphia media. Okay, uh, like, but,
2: but I'm going to stop you there and say like, that the, the issue that, to defend the old guard there, there is an issue with respect to whether the way he does them sometimes is the way he anybody, whether it's avant garde or old school, ought to do them. I think they. I think a guy like McLean or a guy like Les would take that issue. Like I some agree. of what he's doing is irresponsible. That's, that's their argument.
0: But I think that there's like a, I mean, go ahead. No, no, Bill marks no. I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I think the two points can kind of coexist. co-exist yeah. Like I think from a guy like Elliot's perspective, it's not, it's not just because of the era, you know, look, I don't necessarily like what NJ.com does. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to its coverage. Like I don't I don't like the clickbaity things and frankly I think Elliot I think Elliot could be better than that if he had somebody uh showing him the way. Showing him the way. You know, I think he's got a very good pulse. Like he's definitely got a very good feel for what people want to read about. And, you know, he showed that he's been showing that since two thousand eleven, clearly, with that that video that he shot of Asante Samuel and Mike Vick. Um I just think that it, it I, I always blame the bosses before I Blame mm. the boots on the ground, uh, and getting to know Elliot. Like he used to bother me a lot more than he does now, just because I know the guy and I like the guy. Uh, mm. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's. I think he's a good person. Um, but yeah, I understand. And I do understand that people, especially the, the older you get in the guard, the more it bothers you because Elliot's the way NJ.com does things. Let's take Elliot Elliott. Yeah, first. the way NJ.com does things, their business model is a is a direct threat to our business model that we've always had, which is we're the voice. You know, we're the objective voice, we're the definitive voice, we're the voice of record. Like, all you need to do is read us, and and you will have your. We're the New York Times, we're the old grade lady of the Eagles. You mm-hmm. know, the the Inquirer, the Daily News, and, and whatnot. Whereas, you know, Elliot is kind of turning that system on his head. And every time somebody says to Les, you know, why can't you be more like Elliot? You know, that yeah, he wants understandably to pull the last bothers. Few, yeah. And I do think that a lot of what NJ.com does is, is irresponsible. Um, just because it kind of dumbs down coverage to the point where if everything's a he- if everything's worth a headline, then nothing's worth a headline. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like part of our job as journalists is to give people context, and when you know, um, I don't have you know, know a good example, but when
2: if, when source says so and so is going to be inactive this week, is the same as you know Ryan Matthews lost for season with debilitating neck injury, you know that's th- th- that's right. I think what you're getting at there's no context but yeah. it, but
0: uh I will say independent of that there's also an element within the media and this is where I empathize with them whereas if you are doing anything differently yes that's fair then you're treated as a as a threat uh not necessarily institutionally but by the people on the ground um uh, and I, and I think Gonzo probably felt a lot of that when he was writing his column here at the inquiry I mean, I
3: mean- I, I think, like, when I first came home, that column was a little bit different. And, it, I, like, I let them push me into something that I wasn't, like, wholly comfortable with, but also, like... Well, it doesn't matter. My, um, what, I, what I learned from that experience and what I think Elliot has since internalized is screw it. Like, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like what you're doing, whether it's inside the media or outside the media. And what I find deliciously ironic is that, like, we in the media would deign to say, oh, you know, uh, I don't like the way so-and-so is doing something or comporting themselves or whatever, when we take umbrage with that, when the fans do that to us, right? Right. I can't believe this guy has a job or this guy is doing something. And we do that to each other, so screw it. Like There's so many different voices, and if you don't like lessons, then go to Jeff's. And if you don't like Jeff's, go to Elliott's. And if you don't like Elliott's, find somebody else. And like the best advice I ever got, and I say this all the time, but it's true, and it might sound trite, but it's, it's true. My dad gave it to me. You got to be your own man in this world, and if you can't handle that, then good luck to you.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I think I think that we'd all be better off if we internalized a little bit of that. You know what I'm saying?
2: God bless your dad.
0: Uh, yeah, God bless all yeah. of our dads. Uh, but it's <laughs> interesting. Like, I think this is kind of like this is part of what gets into journalists, especially like Mike, I would assume their craw like this part where Elliot says the fans love the drama. They love to pit us against each other on Twitter. People were tweeting which writers they wanted to be ejected. Next eject Elliot eject less eject Jimmy eject Jimmy. They really enjoyed it. And then Kemsky still had Kemsky was not as as you know forthright in his you know criticism for lack of a better word of of the media themselves. But but Kemsky's felt it too and, and he kind of took the similar view as the Elliot whereas this was more fun than anything. You know mm-hmm. like this was just another day in the life of right the tr- of the new world you know entertainment order and this was entertainment whereas guys like mike and marcus um are are this is a journalistic this well, is more of the journalistic angle do you know what i'm well, saying where I, it's like I this mean, is an look, affront to journalism this well, is like
2: look marcus uh, has dropped has dropped fascist a couple of times <laughs> in talking about this um so i, I don't want to go that far I, i'm certainly not ready to. but go i guess what far. i'm
0: saying is, so elliot and jimmy are like oh haha this is fun like we're more voyeurs than anything like hey look what's going on like you know and having fun with it right and, I think, and frankly, I think most people that are reading this this story are probably more like, oh, tee-hee-hee, let's, yeah, let's but, see. But
2: again, that uh, th- I think that's more a function of how a guy like Jimmy Kemsky or a guy like Elliot Shore Parks views what he does and the business model of what he does. You right. know, Jimmy is there to cover the eagle. Jimmy's not going to do, for instance, um, he's not going to do a 3,000-word piece about two high school kids who suffer concussions and whether they ought to play football or not. He's not, he'll illustrate it for you. Right. He'll do it with stick figure. He'll concuss a <laughs> stick figure, but he he's not going to do that piece. And I'm not saying that's good or bad that he doesn't do it. I'm just saying that's what he does. That's, he's He's got a lane that he's staying in. You know, Elliot has a lane that he's in, generally speaking. And and my lane in terms of what I, the work I want to do and the work that I gen, generally like to read and consume is different from all of those. And uh, believe me, I don't think that those guys aren't, good at what they do and aren't valuable and, and it's good to have the, the kind of diversity of voices and all of that. But it makes me angry when the Eagles think they can throw my coworker and my friend and my colleague out of the press box for doing absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's, you know, Jimmy, can, Jimmy and Elliot can kind of sit back and say, ha, 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 this is funny, blah, blah, blah. They don't work with Jeff, you know, and right. they, they don't have to deal with the ramifications of, okay, what happens now? Like, is the Inquirer persona non grata with respect to the Eagles are there going to be things leaked to other media entities news that we're not going to get because they've decided that because Jeff McClain works there they're going to try to freeze Well, he, all right.
0: So actually that's an interesting point that you brought up and guys I don't know if you picked up on this during the, you know, throughout the whole thing as it was unfolding but like right in the midst of it all because I was, I was curious about the same thing and then right in the midst of it all Zach Berman dropped a little bit of news that clearly came from the Eagles yeah. that was Howie and Doug will be back next year what sense, like where? Do, what sense do you make out of that? Was that is that the Eagles? I don't know. I, I don't know. I that, think it was just a curious. It was like a curious I timing. Think, for I don't that. know
2: anything about it. I think that some of that was um, Jeff trying to put um, A plus B equals C together on Twitter with respect to Hey, Doug Peterson isn't scheduled to talk this week. The only other times that a coach has not been scheduled to talk that a day or two after the season ends was. You know Chip Kelly because he was fired, and Andy Reid when he was fired. So you know, I think that might have been some backlash, or kind of a preemptive move on somebody with the Eagles' part to say, "Look, Doug is fine."
0: No, but what I'm saying is, this was this wasn't Jeff. This was Zach. I know, but this was Zach. The headline in the Enquirer was, "Doug Peters and Howie Roseman will return next season," Eagles source says. Yes. And this was the day of. All of this happening.
2: I'm wondering. I don't know. I'm wondering. So did that happen
0: before this whole thing happened? Yes, it did. Okay. It did. Okay. Yes. It's just interesting.
2: Yeah, it happened a few hours before it did. Okay. Yeah. I
0: I just found it didn't yeah. come out until yeah. before that. But yeah, where where do you think it uh? Well, guys, what are you doing? This is like a a one eighty. But what are you doing anyway out there in Cali now? Like, are you uh? Are you just gonna drop oral oral histories of the are the are you the media the the Philadelphia media beat writer for the Ringer dot com now or what's uh what's going on in Cali?
3: Um. T- to answer your question, uh, as little as possible. My wife is gainfully employed and successful, as you guys know. You guys know her well. Uh, so she's a big NFL Network Mucky media Mucky. star. Yep. So that allows me this life of journalistic leisure, where I can like sink my teeth into pieces that are interesting to me. So I spent like I spent uh, like a month and a half with the Lakers. I wrote a piece for the for the Ringer about Luke Walton and like how he's sort of the anti-Byron Scott, so that was fun, got a lot of time to to sit around with the Lakers and like really get to know them and write a piece of, at length, and then I just did this one, and I've got a couple others in the works, and it's The Freelance the freelance Life. I'm about to do, I do a weekly NBA podcast, Rescue Nation, with uh, Paul Flannery, who's also a Philly alum. Mm-hmm. Yep. He is, good man. And yeah, yeah, so he and I are actually going to do our podcast right after there's one talk about the NBA, and... Yeah, man, it's, it doesn't suck. L.A. does
0: not suck. They have the sun here. I don't oh, know yeah. if to you know about that. Well, I, I, love, I love Southern California. I could live there and suck second.
2: Well, why don't you, Murph, just go? You take your man bun find, and go <laughs> to Southern
0: California. I need to, find, uh, I need to find an NFL Network star to marry, apparently. <laughs> or a doctor. A minute, Rich, a minute, Rich wait a Hoffman. Wait my, a minute,
3: did you just say take your man bun? Yeah, he's wearing yeah, a man bun, guys. It is, it's oh, a, God, what happened? I didn't know about <laughs> this. Why didn't you tell me you should have led with this? this
0: yeah. well, I did.
2: We led the whole podcast with it
0: the uh yeah it's it's uh look it's the first time I've ever actually worn one off the basketball court. My hair was just getting in my eyes and i'm a and I'm a fierce i I automatically judge anybody who wears a man bun. So I refuse to ever go out in public. <laughs> yeah, so wearing one. I will only do it for. He's practice. taking
2: the elevator to the top floor of this building and throwing himself off it. Really. I know. <laughs> you
0: know. So I wear. So my hair this is, is so amazing. My hair is this just is a little,
3: honestly the greatest revelation ever. Now this is
0: not like a Riley Cooper man nub This is like a little nub. It's not even a bun. It's really. a man nub. It's it, it's not even really a <laughs> bun. Uh, it's clearly not meant for style. But my hair, I was driving up here and my hair kept on falling into my face as I was driving in my car. And so I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going I'm gonna be my own man. As a, as a wise friend of mine recently said to me, uh-huh. and I said I'm gonna put a rubber band in my hair, and anybody who doesn't like it can go, whatever. Okay, uh, uh,
2: that's uh, exactly on, on the- right.
3: And I, I demand uh, a picture sent out on Twitter just as
2: proof.
0: The uh, you should get one with me holding my iPad case too, because this is just I want to. I have a bedazzled uh, iPad cover. Made made by Christian Siriano. I don't know if that's like a, it looks like a clutch kind of like a purse. Because all the great. iPad covers were, at the Best Buy where I bought my iPad were like 60 bucks. I was like, dude, I just paid you guys $250 for a freaking iPad for an oversized iPhone. I'm not going to give you another $60 for a case. What's your least expensive case? And like the guy looks over at Best Buy to this big like bin, this big metal <laughs> bin where there's just all this crap in it. And it's a clearance bin. And he's like, we got some stuff in there. And he like pulls one out and he's like, "This one's fifteen dollars." I was like, "You know what, man? I'll take it. I'll take I don't it. care if I look ridiculous." All
2: right.
0: Here's the one question I had: how did how did you get in with the Lakers? Like, what? Um, like, how did that take us behind the scenes of how that story came together? Because we like to do that a little bit on this podcast too.
3: Um. So you guys know Mike certainly does that. Like, NBA is I nerd out on the NBA. That's by far my favorite. Yes, sport. he does. And. Uh, I wrote the Clippers preview for SB Nation, so I spent, like, Paul Flannery is an editor at SB Nation. He and I had been on his podcast before. He had been on my show when I was in Philly. When I moved out here, he said, hey, you want to do the podcast together? I said, yes. He said, do you want to do our SB Nation Clippers preview? I said, yes. So I did the Clippers preview. Spent a couple weeks with them. Uh, The Ringer saw it. Uh, Chris Ryan, who's from Philadelphia. Said, hey, would you maybe want to do something where you spend even more time with the Lakers because they're pretty interesting this year? And like Luke Walden is sort of the anti Byron Scott. That could be a fun piece. And I said, yeah. And then just kind of went from there.
0: So did you like, uh, I mean, did you get a lot of one on one time with these guys?
3: Uh, Yeah, I I got a fair amount. I mean, it was kind of like, I mean, you know, so it was the regular stuff, right? Like I was at shoot around and practices every day. And then I was going to all the home games. And then. I got some time with uh, Luke Walton and I got some time with D'Angelo Russell and um, yeah, I mean the Lakers were good. They were really nice about it.
2: Um, the the Lakers are actually yeah, I mean, they're they're really good. They're they're very good with that it's stuff. Right, it's I the only reason
0: I was curious was because I uh like I had this big this big idea last year. Uh, mm-hmm. the I forget what it the Warriors were like they were they were like it was like peak Warrior craziness mm-hmm. in, like, December. And they were on, like, a, a East Coast swing through New York and Washington and, and Philadelphia. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll, like, f- you know, follow the Warriors from, you know, mm-hmm. Philly to New York to D.C. and, and you know, just do a story on kind of, like, Warrior slash Beatlemania. And, like, my first day there, I get there, and, like, the visitor's locker room at Wells Fargo Center is just packed. Mm-hmm. Luke, Wal- uh, Luke Walton was still coaching at yes. the time, I believe. Yeah. And... Like, I, I'm, like, five rows deep behind all the media from, like, New York to see, <laughs> like, all this stuff. And then I see, you know, th- the crowd disperses, and I see Luke Walton walk, like, arm in arm with uh, Rick Riley <laughs> for Sports <laughs> Illustrated. And I'm, like, you know what? Screw this story. There's no, absolutely no okay, way. It. <laughs> and, and it turns out Rick Riley was doing the same thing I, I was, like, thinking of doing. Uh, so I was just – I didn't know if you had any insider tips on actually uh, executing that idea the next time I have it. Gonzo.
3: Um yeah, we could talk about that. I mean like (laughs) executing like
0: I'm not a very good I'm a good idea guy, I'm not necessarily a great executor.
3: No no, I mean you know like the how the sausage is made is like
0: there's no one specific way,
3: right? And like I found I I haven't been like a real freelancer for a while. Uh probably not since like like when I lived in Boston when I was like trying to supplement my income that way and like I don't know. You just keep throwing stuff at people until they're like, yeah, man, uh, go do it or go
0: away. Yeah, I think that's like that's the thing about freelancing that always like scares the crap out of me when I think because it the sounds no like net, a gr- it no sounds net, like a, it sounds like a great life. And like I have tons of ideas of stories I'd love to just like run around doing. But I'm also definitely the t- kind of person where I'm at my most comfortable when everything's kind of flowing from like what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. So like when you're on, like after I spend a year covering the Phillies every day stuff it's just easy comes, to pur- it's yeah. it's easy to pursue things right that way right. but like it's really hard and i realized i was realize kind of laughing at myself after i was driving home that night because i'm like dude you're an idiot like <laughs> you think like, like you gotta like you, you gotta have a little more yeah i, I understand what you're, you're saying. not you're not gonna you're not gonna uh just drop in on the warriors you know at peak warrior yeah crazy be able to, to write about it a- you know, I right. report it better than anybody. Because Rick Riley's gonna yeah be there at some point. Um
2: we we gotta wrap yeah. this up. Guns, thank you so much, man. We we loved having you on. Um it was great to talk to you. Thanks.
0: You gotta see Sealski's face. You can't wait to get out of
2: here. I can. I got work to do, man. Is this not work?
0: I I I, I
2: also this have is work fun. to
3: do, but I will say that uh it was wonderful to speak to you guys. This, as I said to McLean and Hoffman, um these are the kinds of things that like remind me like how much I miss you guys. It, it warmed my oh. heart, so tell everybody
0: hi. <laughs> Hashtag single tier. Oh, speaking of Colleen, one, one more thing. Yeah. Rich Hoffman told me the second best yeah. thing than than Gonzo did about marrying an NFL Network star, which is Rich's advice has been to hang out outside Thomas Jefferson. Uh, because Rich, has, married, as you may have known, married yeah. a chief of surgery yes. at, at uh, <laughs> Avacyn <laughs> Hospital, yes. and and therefore spends a lot less time worrying about his financial future than yeah. I do. <laughs> and I think more and more, that's the way that, to go. That might be the way. Uh, That's the way to go. My, my kind of, I guess, my standards have kind of like shifted over the last five or six years to the point where, like, you know, I wouldn't mind being a man of leisure.
3: <laughs> I think you already great, are bro. one. I'm not gonna lie to you. I go to the beach a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, man. All well, right. hey, listen. If I if I do, I'll we'll move out to Cali, and you and I can just sit my ties on the beach and. Uh, I can't wait, man. I gotta <laughs> All right, see you, bud.
2: See you, guns. Thanks for All listening, right, everybody.